presence. Lord, be with us even right now as we lift up songs of praise to your throne. And these things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.
and your name is above every other name. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you for your son. We thank you for our salvation that we are able to come near to you. I pray, God, that um, we would behold you and that we would see that you are majestic and holy and that uh, we would be challenged to be holy as you are holy. That we would just think about how we were not bought with something perishable like blood or like gold or silver, but with the imperishable blood of Jesus. I pray that we would just strive to live worthy lives and that as we behold you, that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another. We thank you, Lord, and we love you.
this time of corporate prayer together. Let us remember who it is that we are praying to, that he is our God, and it is through Christ alone that we are saved. And Christ alone deserves all of our worship, all of the glory and honor that we can give him. And so now, this morning, let us go before our Lord and Savior in prayer. And whether you speak your prayers aloud or speak them only in your hearts, let us remember that he is our Lord who loves us deeply and personally. Let us now go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bring you praise and glory this morning, giving you the worship that you deserve. We ask, Lord, that we be able to go beyond just the worship, beyond just the music, beyond the words of the lyrics, that we will go into your presence seek you fully. Even as we lift up these prayers, these praises, and these petitions, we ask that you fill our minds and our hearts with your spirit, so that as we pray, we do so in accordance with your will and not with our own human design. pray for unity in the church, not just this church, but the church as a whole around the world, to be of one spirit and of one mind with our God and with our Savior. church in the right place to minister the most effectively to this community. for our five to invite so that we can be a larger church body in mind, in spirit, and in truth. Let us pray for five people who still need to learn who the Lord is. And let us pray that we are the ones who are able to sow the seed, whether we are the first to sow the seed or the last, so that they will be drawn into the embrace of our God.
up these prayers this morning knowing that you hear us, trusting that you hear us because we know that you love us. Your promises of love and faithfulness abound in your book. And we know your book is trustworthy. All of the evidence we can find about it says so. So we ask, Lord, as we lift up these prayers, that you remind us of your faithfulness, that you remind us of your love, so that as we pray, we can do so with confidence, knowing that you will answer us. But Lord, we also ask that whatever that answer be, a yes, a no, not right now, that you would give us the strength and the peace of mind to be able to endure that response to see it out to the end. For we seek not our own will, but your will be done on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into this time of communion, the trays will be passed around. There will be the juice and the cup. Uh, feel free to take one, but hold on to it until the end of the meditation, and we will take that together as one body. In the book of 1 John, we read this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's take a moment to ponder that as we prepare our hearts for communion and remember what, what it is that we celebrate, that we remember by taking the communion, that we celebrate that God has given testimony, that he has given us Christ the Son for our salvation. Let us take a moment and consider the impact of that on our lives.
Jesus was betrayed. He took that bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so now together, as one body in Christ, remembering the testimony that God has for us through the Son, let us take this bread together. same way, Jesus took that wine and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood, which has been poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so now together, as one body in Christ, remembering the victory and the life that comes through the sacrifice in this drink, let us take the juice together. Heavenly Father, we partake of the communion this morning. Help us to remember its purpose. That the communion is a tangible sign of the testimony you give through Christ and through his sacrifice. That testimony which gives us life and gives us victory. Help us to remember this, Lord, so that even as we go from this place, that testimony shines in us through us and gives light to this dark world so that all those around us, whether it is by our words or by our deeds, will see you in us, will see you through us, will be drawn into your kingdom for your name, for your glory. We pray all of this in the most holy and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are so glad to have you with us this morning. If you are a guest, we have a special gift for you. It is a book called Unshakable. If you haven't already received your copy, please stop by the Welcome Center after the service. This week, we'll be in our series, Victory from Darkness into Marvelous Light. In this life, we face many kinds of trials, deep emotional wounds, addiction, loneliness, and many other things. But here at the Christian Church of Estes Park, we believe that Jesus is still in the business of transforming lives and giving us victory over those trials. That is why every week during this series, we'll be looking at different stories in the Gospels where someone's life was changed forever when they met Jesus, as well as hear stories from our very own church family about the victory that Jesus has won for them. We believe that as you hear these stories, you will have confidence that the victory God gives freely belongs to you too. Before we get started, let's talk about the Green Connection card in your bulletin. Once you have your card, please fill out your name and current contact information. One of the primary reasons we ask you to fill out the connection card is because we believe that God has a reason for having you here today. By filling out the card, you're letting God know that you're ready to take some next steps as the service progresses, and it allows us to pray for you and support you as you take those steps. 
One of our pastors will share more about those steps at the end of today's service. So hold on to your connection card and drop it in the offering basket at the end of the service. Inside your bulletin, you'll also find an offering envelope. If you came prepared to give today, please place it in the offering basket along with your connection card. You can also give online at our website, estespark.church forward slash give. Now that we've gone over the connection card, let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord and get into the message. Hey, good morning. Yeah, welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm thrilled that you are here today as we finish up our series through the summer of victory. It's kind of a bittersweet uh, time because uh, I love finishing up series, but I also am sad to see summer kind of coming to an end. But I hope it's been a good series for us. We've going through and talking about how God gives us victory over all kinds of different things in life. And you've seen how that's not just words that we say, but even the testimonies of our own church members who have found victory in Christ in, in all these various ways. And you know what it reminds me of is our memory verse, which hopefully has been sticking in your heart, your mind, as a foundation of this truth throughout the entire series. Uh, let's, let's just say it one more time together. Here we go. Three, two, one. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8, 37. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that powerful? Aren't we glad that we're not just defeated, we're not just victims, but God says, no, we are more than conquerors even in the midst of this world that is bigger than us. And today we're going to talk about how this victory comes not just individually, but how God helps us become more than conquerors together, how we find victory through community. And we're going to be looking into God's Word as we do that. If you have your Bibles, you're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to be in those first 12 verses. I'm going to have them up on the screen, but you can't take notes on my TV. So just uh, it's a good place to have them there. And, and this is the story of, of a man who uh, really, on his own, was unable to attain any type of victory over his circumstances. And the time period of this story, as you're turning there, just in context, that Jesus is finishing up one of his Galilean ministries, early one, actually, his first one, which is that upper region of, of Israel. And he's going through the different cities, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's healing people, and, and he's gaining quite a name. And those who were sick and, and lost were beginning to find hope in, in the power of this Messiah who had come, right? And Right before we find this story, we see that Jesus actually here heals a man with leprosy, which is phenomenal because in that day and age, leprosy was the thing. You just ran from those with leprosy. If you ended up uh, having leprosy, your life was over. It was terrifying and it was very contagious. And Jesus puts his hand on the man and tells him that he's healed. And, and this power, the fact that this man was healed from this horrible, terrifying disease, validated the power of Jesus in the hearts and, and the minds of many people in that entire region. And word got out. Well, Jesus ends that portion of his ministry. He comes back to Capernaum, his home base for the, for the rest of his ministry. He's at, probably at Peter's house. And uh, he begins teaching, and crowds start showing up, and all kinds of sick people start showing up, and those who are demon-possessed start showing up, seeking healing in Christ. And that is where we pick up the story. In verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. 
Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why is it that you're thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I know it's a story that's common. We've heard a lot, but let's break it down. It's, it's pretty rich. And discover why God gives us victory through community. The first thing you see there is that the paralytic was in a hopeless state, wasn't he? I mean, he was thoroughly paralyzed, unable to move himself. I mean, physically he was paralyzed, he couldn't take care of himself, but economically that also made him paralyzed. He couldn't work and he didn't have a welfare system. He was destitute. Socially he was paralyzed. Really, he didn't have a whole lot to offer. He had a couple of friends, but, but really, socially, his, his world was pretty small. Spiritually, he was paralyzed. In that day and age, if a person had a sickness like this, oftentimes people would look at you and say, you must have been super sinful for God to allow you to be stricken like this. And before we turn our noses up at those of the ancient world, let's also consider ourselves how often we, we wrongly tell people that God must be cursing them because of some pain that they have in their lives. This man was in a hopeless state. He couldn't help himself, and worse yet, in that state, he couldn't make it to Jesus even if he wanted to. But he was not without hope, was he? I mean, Jesus was in town, right? He could heal. He could even heal a person who, who had leprosy. He could heal physical ailments. It was miraculous and powerful and had the capacity as well as the desire and the willingness to be able to heal people. And so there was hope. And, and this man, this paralyzed man, he certainly would have heard about this, but he may have even seen the evidence. He might have seen the testimony of transformation that some of maybe other people who were sick in that city would come by and said, you know, I, had, I was sick and now I'm well. And so there was hope. The problem was, how could this paralyzed man get to Jesus? On his own, he couldn't. And that's the point. The paralytic couldn't get to Jesus on his own. Fortunately, he wasn't alone. He had at least four friends who were willing to take the journey with him. They literally carried him to Jesus 
And you know, the crowd got in the way. It says that the house was kind of filled and all that kind of stuff. And, and you think about this. Have you, have you ever been to like a concert or something like that? There's a bunch of people. Can you imagine trying to navigate through one of those? It's just hard on your own. If you're trying to carry a stretcher, like it was pretty tough. They faced resistance. They had to carry this dude, which is heavy, across town or however far they went. Once they got there, they were met by all kinds of obstacles. There were a lot of reasons for them to just give up. But the paralytic's friends didn't give up, and this is important. The paralytic may have given up in his heart when he saw the crowds and he saw this, and he's like, there's no way Jesus is ever going to get to me. But these friends were real friends. I mean, they looked at the problem, and they said, we're going to find a solution, and they had to get a little creative. Now, it says that they, they dug through the roof of the house and all this, and so to have an idea that the, the architecture in Jerusalem at that time is a little different than it is in Estes Park, because they don't have snow or snow loads like we do. So this is an artist's recreation or, or I, of, of what Capernaum looked like in the time of Jesus, right? And the houses that you'd see there are not like little houses, they're like these compounds, right? And so they would have a, a doorway, and they'd have kind of it open up into like a special like a, a open area where you might have like a kitchen or you'd have like your, your stove because it gets hot there and you don't want to have your smoky oven on the inside of the house. And there'd be like this area that people could gather around in that. And on the outside of that, then you had all of these, these different rooms, right, that people would sleep in or you'd have, you could do different things. There's all these different rooms, which brings to mind when Jesus said in my father's house, there are many, many rooms, right? I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? The idea of their minds. Well, on the top of these houses, because it's hot there, they have these areas where you can, or designs that you can actually walk on and live on. Kind of like an outdoor, like a, like a lanai or a deck or something like this. And they would do all kinds of stuff up there uh, and hang out there. Uh, but there was flat areas and you could access them usually by stairs or a ladder. And so the... Uh, the man's friends, they, they see this whole house is filled. So filled is the house that all, in the entire area, the whole compound is packed. Can't even really get into the doorway, right? It's spilling out onto the street. Somehow, they wrestle their way inside. They can't get to Jesus, so what do they do? They find either a stairway or a ladder, which has had to be pretty tough, and they raise the dude up above where Jesus is teaching. And once they get there, it says they dig through the roof. Let me show you a picture of, that's kind of the, the architecture, what a roof would have looked like on the inside, except for they would also have plaster, right? So it would look nice. They had to dig through that, like logs and huge sticks. I mean, they were, they were committed. And can you imagine Jesus teaching? Because there's this thing called gravity, right? And he's teaching there, and it's a little distracting to have people dust starts coming down and he's like i'm trying to have a sermon here right and all of a sudden there's a whole way four little heads probably poke through look at the thing and then they lower a, a guy down on a mat they found a way they didn't give up they didn't look at the circumstances this is too hard it's too busy it's impossible they had to actually do property damage and they knew they'd be liable to fix it but they found a way and they didn't give up and they bring the man to Jesus, and that's all they could do. That was everything in their power, but they couldn't heal the man. And they had no idea how Jesus would, would respond. Would he be upset? 
because that's a legitimate thing. Like, what, you just ruined my mother-in-law's house? Right, or, or my friend's mother-in-law's house? You, you destroyed this? You wrecked my friend's roof? I mean, you messed up my sermon? I mean, he could have done all kinds of things. He could have been upset. They had no idea. All they knew is that the only hope they had was to bring their friend to Jesus, and they brought him to Jesus. Now, here's the cool thing. Jesus offered healing. And he starts with this, spiritual healing. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, remember, so many in the culture would have thought that this man was paralyzed because he was sinful. That, that his, his paralysis was evidence of his depraved state. And Jesus makes a public proclamation in front of a great crowd of witnesses that this man is now blameless, that his sins are gone, his sins are forgiven. And can you imagine how healing it would have been for that man to hear this? For certainly he did have sin, all of us do. And yet for him, the guilt and the shame of his sin was evidence in the very reality of his disability and to be validated by a holy man in the midst of community, would have been rich and deep. God offered healing at the point of this man's deepest need. Now, those that were hearing that, this was a challenge, because the Pharisees were correct. Only God can forgive sins. And they challenged this. They had not come to an understanding yet that Jesus was actually divine, even though he had done miracles. And so they said, they have this objection in their heart and mind, says, wait a second, we see all these great things, but doctrinally, I think this dude is off. And Jesus, even before they object, he knows what's happening in their heart and mind. And he addresses it. He says, I know what you're thinking, but I want you to know I'm exactly who you think I'm not. So let's have a little test here. It's easy for me to say that a person's sins are forgiven, because you can't see that. Or for me to heal this man and to do something that only God can do physically. And says, so that you will know that I have the power to forgive sins, I'm going to heal this man. And so he offers this paralytic a second healing. And he says, get up and walk. Now, that would be a very difficult moment for this man that was paralyzed. Because he had just received a great validation, but now came the moment of truth. If he wasn't able to get up and walk, then that would also mean that he wasn't forgiven of his sins. And that all of the fears and everything that everyone had said about him before would be absolutely true, that he was worthless, that he was hopeless. But Jesus offers the healing. What I find most profound in this story is that the man accepts Jesus' healing. He had to actually move. It would have been really easy for him to just stay laying there, not risk it. He had already been an object of ridicule his entire life. Can you imagine how humiliating it would be to then try to stand up and not be able to in front of all of these people, all of these critics, and to just lay there? And then have it reaffirmed in their heart and minds, your worthlessness. It had been super easy for this man to say, well, thank you, Jesus, very much. 
My friends brought me to you, and I thank you guys for that, but I'm quite comfortable on my mat. Plus, what would happen if he did was, was healed? Well, now he'd have to get a job. <laughs> right? That's, that's real. He'd have to find a new way to live than he had ever experienced. His whole world was going to have to turn around if he decided to get up. Something profound and for the rest of his life was going to change. And oftentimes it's just easier to stay laying down. But he didn't, did he? He got up. And he picked up his mat. And he went home. Now, when he did that, what was the effect? Well, we see that the whole community was filled with joy. That's the effect of what happens when God does what only God can do in our presence. That's why we've been sharing testimonies of transformation all summer. Because God is the only one who can do what God does. And you need to see that he's, this is not just a story for the past. And when we see these testimonies and we see the transformation, we recognize how good God is. And, and, and those who in the past had lacked the capacity to have faith see the power of a living God and they're filled with joy because we are not hopeless. Isn't that a cool story? So what do we learn from it? I think the first thing we recognize is this, is that our world is in a hopeless state, isn't it? It's in a hopeless state. This world is broken. And the thing is, is that we just can't point the fingers to the outside. We broke it. We did. We are all sinners. We reminded Romans 3 where it says, as is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So if you ever thought you were an awesome, good person, the word of God has a real reality check for us, which I really have never met a person who thought they were sinless. Most of us are like, duh, all of us. We have all wrecked this world. Humanity is lost. We are spiritually paralyzed, blind. Even our knowledge of good and evil is askew, right? We, we have our ability to make our own morals as of what is right and wrong, and we get it wrong all of the time. We disagree with God on a regular basis. I mean, the problem isn't that our world is, is immoral. Our, our problem is our world is wrongly moral because we're spiritually and ethically blind. And if that's not only the problem there, because our moral compass is askew, we find ourselves and culture perpetually moving further from God. Do you see the evidence of that in this world? Our world is lost. It is hopeless. It cannot save itself. As it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think that our question is not, why do people sin? That's a silly question. I mean, the natural state of this world leads us to that. I think the question is, why does anyone do anything good ever? How do we explain goodness? And here's the thing, even if we find that people do good things, and we do, just as much as we have a sin nature, we were made in the image of a good God. I mean, even the, we, we find even atheists do nice things from time to time. But even if that's true, the reality is we know that we can't outgood our sin. Just like we can't out-obey the law to the point that it can cover our crimes. If 
if I kill somebody, I can't go to the judge and say, well, I know that I did that one really bad thing, but look at all these other good things I've done. I, I don't even jaywalk, or I pay my taxes. I'll be super good from this point on. It doesn't matter. I, all of the times I've obeyed the law does not cancel the time that I violated it. And we have violated God's law, all have sinned. And the penalty for that sin is laid out very clearly in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wage of sin is death. And that spiritual death, separation from God, we find ultimately in, in Scripture, the separation place that he isn't, he's created, is a, we know not just hell, but the lake of fire, eternal judgment. This is the hopeless state of the world. This is the destination of all who come, live in this world. And on our own, this is where we go. We are hopeless. We are blind. We are paralyzed, unable to undo the depravity within us. Just like the paralyzed man. But, like him, we have hope. Oh, ow, that's weird. <laughs> we have hope. Humanity, humanity is lost. The spiritually blind, yes. And we wander from God, but, but aren't we glad that we're not on our own? When we were on our own and hopeless, God came to us. Jesus came to find us. As in Luke 19, Jesus says, For the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, came to seek and to save the lost. He's actively came to us, looking for us, saving us, doing for us what we could never do on our own. We are not without hope. And we've seen the testimony of that time and time again, not just in this congregation, but for the thousands of years the church has been in existence. Jesus saves. Romans 5.8 says, when God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. Not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself up for us. That God is not motivated just to create slaves or to, to rub our nose in our sin or to mock us for our depravity. He came to save us. We have great hope. And he doesn't just save us from our guilt. He saves us from the life of death, a perpetual separation from him, from spiritual blindness, from the poverty of the spirit and, the whole, and of life. He doesn't just save us from our past, but he saves us also for the present day and for the future. He saves us into a new way of living and a whole new life. This is what God calls us to. Not a moment of conversion, but a rebirth into a whole new way of being. What a great hope. And it's good to know that, that our community then has this hope, but it can't find Jesus on its own. Why would we expect blind people to find the Savior somewhere or those who are paralyzed to be able to come to him? They cannot on their own. Romans 10, 14 says, How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The reality is that every one of us that is here today is here because somebody else brought us to Jesus. They literally carried us. Sometimes they carried the gospel right into our homes. 
Sometimes they carried us to a place where we had an experience, an encounter with Jesus. But every one of us is here because somebody laid the groundwork. Somebody helped bring us to faith. None of us were just born, woke up one morning and says, I know that there is this God. God the Son came and died on the cross. His name is Jesus. I can be saved by my faith in him. That just didn't happen. So why would we expect that to happen now for the rest of the community? We have been commissioned and called and been given a, 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 a powerful purpose by God to saturate this valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that everyone who lives here will at least be carried to Jesus or at least we carry Jesus to them so that they can have an encounter with him so that everyone who lives here will understand who he is, how, what he's done for them, how to accept him and how to grow. There's a church that will help them grow in faith. It's not just going to happen. Those four friends had to make a decision. They had to be willing to risk. They had to go and to bring their friend. We can't do it alone. Which is why Jesus commands the church not to expect our community to find Jesus on their own. You know the Great Commission? Something that I preach on at least once a year because it's so important. It's, it's great for a reason. Where Jesus gathers his disciples before he sends into heaven. He gives us our marching orders and he says, go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he gives us a good promise and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. We're not saving the world. We're not the savior of humanity, but Jesus is. And so he sends us. We call this the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion for a reason. Right? God has called us to go. Because he loves this world. He loves our broken world. Those who have nothing to offer, he loves them deeply. And I love what he says to go to all the nations. It means all the different kinds of people. For the, for the Jewish uh, disciples, this was a mind-blowing thing because no longer was God just coming for, for that family, for the tribe of Israel, but for everyone. And that doesn't just mean our ethnicity, but for everyone. Jesus has come. And he sends us to all the kinds of people, all the people. Here's the thing, so we can't give up. Is it hard? Yeah. We've been a church here in Estes Park for a little over 20 years, right? And there are still friends and neighbors and people that, that I have the privilege of, of knowing and serving alongside and coaching and, and all that kind of stuff who don't know Jesus yet. And there are people living in this community who have no idea who Jesus truly is. There's a lot of people in this community who have a wrong idea of who Jesus is. And we have a lot of headwinds, don't we? we the, the world is pretty much crowded out. You know, sometimes it's hard to even see Jesus because we have all these bad ideas about who he is and, and all these wrong misconceptions about it. And it's, sometimes it's really hard to bring people to the actual Savior. And we could use that as an excuse, couldn't we? He said, well, it's so tough. I try to tell them about the Lord, and they just reject it all the time. And they just mean, when I try to explain it, I've got all these bad examples of what Christianity is, so I, I don't know, it's just too difficult. Just going to give up. Can we really leave our world lost and desperate, hopeless? I think just like the paralytic's friends, we have to find a way. We've got to be creative. We must be persistent. We have to be intentional. We have to have the mindset to do whatever it takes to bring Christ to our community. But I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, as we do that, 
It's a risk, isn't it? Because we're risking ourselves. Just like those friends, they put this big old hole in the roof. Now it's a big show. They brought their, they brought their friend to Jesus. What if Jesus didn't come through? I mean, they would be embarrassed as well, humiliated. It would be this enormous risk. But I want you to know this, that we have on, on good count and with a lot of history behind it, that when we bring people to Jesus, Jesus will offer a new life. That's what he does. That he's not going to tell somebody, no, the gospels, that's not for you. That when we bring somebody before Jesus, it's not as though he's just going to be irritated that we had another one of our loser friends that we had to bring in front of him. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He gave his life for that. He cares very deeply for those that are lost. He calls us to go and to serve them and to care for them, be patient with them. And know this, that the gospel has never been repealed. There's never been a time we found in history that God says, nope, that's done. All the houses in heaven are now full. We met our quota. Good job, guys. It's not it. And know this, that when we give our, our neighbors and our friends and our family members an encounter with Jesus, he will begin by healing them from the inside out, from the point of their greatest need, whatever that is. The friends would have thought that, you know, these four guys would have thought that their paralytic buddy, his greatest need was to not be paralyzed. That seemed pretty obvious. But Jesus saw to the heart, didn't he? He saw the real need, and he met it there. So we don't tell Jesus how to heal. I just know that Jesus heals. He offers new life. He always does. Remember Romans 6.23 where it says that, that, uh, that the wage of sin is death? Well, it tells us later the gift of God is eternal life. But in order to get that, we have to recognize that the gospel has got to be received. That when we bring our friends to Jesus, they can do whatever they want. God will always, always offer new life, but they won't always receive it. And that's okay. The reality is that sometimes it's just easier to stay lying on our mat. Because new life is a risk. It's scary. We have to get to work. We have to learn to walk. We have new responsibilities. Right? The ways that, that, that we've learned to survive are not going to be the ways that we can exist any longer. And for some, that is too much. And for some, just the risk of sitting up and taking Jesus at his word is, is too much, more than they can bear. They already know they're lost. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they're just comfortable where they're at. But just to trust Jesus is a risk a step too far. And we can bring our friends to Jesus. He will offer life, but it has to be received. And sometimes we carry our friends to Jesus multiple times. But I'll tell you this. That's an issue between that person and God. Give them the dignity to make their own choice. But, and this happens quite often, when given the opportunity for healing and a new life, there are many people who say, yeah. And they get up. And they start walking in a new way. And we see rebirth. And we see, uh, we see God take a dead person and make them alive, a hopeless person, and, and, and filled with purpose and hope. We see God do that. You've seen the testimonies all summer. I think to recognize that, that when God does that, great things happen. Right? Ephesians says that, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, so that no one can boast. It's a hard step, but it's also an easy step. 
It's not like we're asking people to go climb some mountain and, and have this long Gregorian chant and be able to walk on hot coals and then somehow prove their fidelity to Christ and their goodness or anything like that. It's that you've been saved by God's grace through faith, and faith is hard to come by sometimes. But as we bring people to, to Christ, and they come to that point of recognizing that they can just trust him and he will give them life, then just like the paralytic, they have to put that faith into action, Right? There's got to be some way they express it. The paralytic could say, oh, great, I'm, I'm, I'm healed. Awesome, now carry me out. That's not faith. In the same way God tells us, so we express our faith. We express it in believing, that's trusting, even with our doubts. In our repentance, saying, I'm going to start living in this new life, even though I don't even know exactly how it fully works, or if I can trust it, I'm going to try living this new way and stop turning away from the old dead, sinful way that I was. I'm going I'm to express my faith in conf my confession. I'm going to stand with Jesus, even though I haven't seen him yet. And I have not received my, my crown of glory yet, but I'm going to confess him. I'm going to stand with him. I'm going to express my faith in my baptism and be dunked in water in front of a lot of people, which is awkward. I'm going to express my faith in my discipleship and being part of a church full of other people like me who don't have it perfect, but have a perfect Savior, and they're learning how to grow in that. There are a lot of ways that God calls us to express our faith, but the thing is that expression doesn't save you. It is Jesus who saves. He fundamentally rebirths you. He gives you a new life. But you have to receive that faith, and he gives you opportunity. He says, now start walking in it. And when people do that, and as people do that, the whole church is filled with joy, isn't it? Isn't it one of the most exciting things when somebody that we've been praying for and, and caring for and, 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 and carrying them to Jesus, when they, they finally get up, we see the miracle of new life and we see the testimony of transformation in their life come to fruition right before our eyes? And it doesn't just fill the church with joy, by the way. Ultimately, it fills the whole community with joy. Because hopeless people are given hope. Purposeless humanity is given great purpose. Those who were lost are now have, have a sense of belonging and, and they are not just found, but they, but they know who they are. That we have uh, people who have been broken in their sin no longer living and being dominated by that anymore and finding a new type of righteousness to live within. We find that God begins to grow in them like peace and joy and goodness and patience and kindness and love and all kinds of things. And our lives and our families and all things around us begin to transform for the betterment of everybody. Joy comes to town when Jesus accepts his own people and when people accept their Lord. That is an amazing thing. And I want you to know, just a reminder, that this is not just a, me just giving story about what it might look like hypothetically at another church. It happens all the time, even here. And I'd like to share for you one of those stories uh, from a gal that most of you know. Her name is Laura, and this is her testimony. My name is Laura Miller, and I have been coming to Christian Church of Estes Park for seven years. I was raised in a home where we went to church every Sunday. Um, I was raised in a Methodist church and, you know, went to uh, vacation Bible school and everything, um, but I had never heard of salvation or being born again. So I moved out to Colorado from Chicago um, when I was 17. 
I eventually started changing friends and getting into trouble, into gangs, into drugs, into alcohol. Um, just was pretty much a wreck. So it was either go to rehab or come and live with my dad. My dad never went to church either, so it was just my mom, and I moved out here to be with my dad, so there was no church. I finished high school here, and then, you know, just got a job and just started working and just doing my thing. <laughs> I mean, nothing spectacular, you know? So before I met Jesus, I mean, I thought life was fine. It wasn't super exciting. I just, like I said, I just worked. Eventually, I met Mike, and we got married, and everything was really good. I'll never forget one time, I, my mom and stepdad came to visit, and he was, my stepdad was a huge Cubs fan, and the Rockies were playing the Cubs, so we went, we were getting ready to go um, to the baseball game down in Denver, and I remember walking out on the driveway waiting for everyone and beautiful sunny day here in Estes and I'm like there's got to be more there just has to be something more to this life that I'm missing 18 years ago I opened a salon hair salon in my home and God put certain people in my salon as clients that therefore became friends one of which huge one was Christy Christopher, who used to go here until she moved away. You know, we get those invitation cards, every like sermon series usually. I don't know how she did this, but after, you know, when she was leaving the salon, she's already out the door, and I swear I would turn around and there's an invitation on my desk. I never saw her put it there. I'm like, how is this happening? And I'd look at it like, okay, you know, whatever. And I'd you know, just put it, you know, under the pile on my desk usually. But she would keep, you know, giving me these invitations and we'd have these wonderful talks, wonderful talks. I just thought, oh my goodness, how does this woman know all this, you know? One day I was doing her hair and I'll never forget because she kept mentioning salvation. I just stopped what I was doing and walked in front of her. And I said, what do you mean? Like, what do I have to do? To be, to be saved. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit, just a little. And eventually, right in my salon, got on my knees and confessed my sins to God and accepted Christ into my heart. Christy Christopher is, I mean, she's a godsend. Um, absolutely a godsend. I, I thank God for her every time I think of her. I'm so grateful for her and I'm so grateful that God put her in my life. We would spend time, you know, basically discipling me and um, just grow, helping me to grow in my faith. I've just never seen faith like that before. After I had accepted Christ, you know, then I became, I, I got to having these amazing conversations with other Christian women that were coming into my salon. This one day this woman comes in and um, I was just talking about how wonderful life was now and everything and she's like, oh yeah. She says, we we had you covered. We There was no way you were escaping God's grasp. Because <laughs> they were all, I had no idea how many prayers were being lifted up for me from all these wonderful Christian women. It's scary sometimes to put yourself out there 
But I just encourage people to be bold. I mean, I never thought I had it in me, but I just, I like to be able to plant seeds and be a vessel for Christ. People can influence you so easily the wrong way, like it did to me when I was a teenager, and, and look at how this worked with Christy in my life. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, truly believe I would not be here if it wasn't for her. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? You know, we look at that, and it's not the, she's not unique, right? That's what it means. We bring Christ to our community. We bring our community to Christ. And the big idea is, I want you to say, is that loving Christians bring people to Jesus. That's part of loving our world. It's loving our God. And part of loving God is caring for what he cares for. He, he, he came to seek and save those that are lost. He placed us right here in Estes Park. He brought us to himself, and now he sends us out. To be loving is to see the world not as it is in its depravity and its brokenness and become so disgusted that we just turn away from it and to run. Instead, we should be running to this world. To care for, to seek the good of those who are lost more than we seek our own comfort or ease. Sometimes it's carrying somebody to the Lord, and that's hard. And so we must love the people enough. How do we do that? Well, you saw the story. It's, it's sometimes it's subversive and, and uh, sneaky, but, but it's also, it's natural. I mean, that's the reason that we give you those invite cards, by the way. That's the reason that we offer trainings or things like this, how to have spiritual conversations, but ultimately it's just going and caring for people enough. And we're not asking you to go and knock on people's doors cold. You don't know them. We are asking you to pray for your neighbors. We're asking you to pray for at least five people who don't know the Lord, who need a church home. I mean, can you begin by, by setting your heart and your mind to, to allowing God to start his work there? To, to prepare them to receive an invitation, to prepare them to, to receive that, that opportunity so they would say yes. I mean, look at what happened with Laura. She was being prayed for. She didn't even know. And one day, out of literally the blue sky, she recognizes that there's a, she has a need for God. Do you think that just happened? The prayers of the saints are powerful. But so is the testimony today. She wasn't beat down by those other ladies that told her, you're so sinful, Laura. You have a horrible life. You're just an awful person. No, what did they do? They invited her. They said, you're welcome. They prayed for her. They had conversations. And when she was ready and as she was ready, they naturally respected her enough to be able to introduce her to the Lord. That's how many of us come to faith. So pray and ask and offer. But here's the thing. Never give up. Never, ever give up. So our next steps. How do we apply this? I think the first was we need to meditate on Romans 8.37. Because there are people in your life, and I guarantee this, if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time, that there are people in your life you say are hopeless. You have been trying for years. You've been praying for them for years. You look at their heart and you say, it's so hard. There is no way. Aren't you glad that in all these things we're more than conquerors? Why? Because of him. It's through Christ that God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who does what only God can do. Don't give up. If they have breath in their lungs, do not give up. Trust that God is going to do what only God can do. And as we do that, the second thing, I want us to find encouragement through scriptures. The book of Acts, chapter 1 through 7, is powerful. In fact, next week we're going to be 
uh, meeting at Stanley Park, and we're going to start working and praying for our community together. It's going to be pretty awesome as we start a new series called Go, right? So you'll be prepped up for it if you read Rome or Acts 1 through 7, but you're going to see the birth of the church. You're going to see how God grew this amazing movement of life in the midst of this broken and dead world. You're going to see how a community comes together and finds victory in Christ. Spend time recognizing that the story of those in Acts is our story too. As we do that, Maybe you need to join the next membership class because we need community. We need to be part of this. It's natural. It's God's design that you cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian. We, we weren't built for that. We were not made for that. In fact, in, in just a little, our next uh, service, we're going to be having an ordination service for, for Jesse, setting him aside to, why? To shepherd the flock of God the way that God has designed it to happen, that we need each other. So if you need a church family, we invite you to come be part of this church family, a healthy church family, so that you can grow in this place and that you could be set and equipped in this place. And I'd love for you to join me. It starts on, on September 4th on a Sunday between services. It's a great time. The fourth one that I'm going to ask you to do oh, is to invite someone to church. And this may be just going back to your take five, right? And to be committed to that. But say, you know what? I'm going to be like Christy Christopher. I'm going to invite somebody. You know, we have a series coming up here uh, in, in about a month. It's called Homecoming. And it's Back to Church Sunday and things like this. And we're going to have little invite cards next week for you. But we're going to ask you to take those and start praying about who you can be able to invite. They may say yes, they may say no. But at least let us go and offer the invitation to bring our, our community to Christ. The fifth thing is, I'd like you to join us at 1030 next week. And it's 1030. It's not in our bulletin. I don't know why that time thing got missed in our announcement, but I apologize for that. But 10.30, not 10 o'clock, 10.30 is when our worship service is going to start next week. We're only having one worship service at Stanley Park. We're starting a series called Go, and we're going to be praying for our community, we'll be equipping us. And then afterwards, we're going to come back together, and we're going to have a great uh, a, a, a barbecue. We're going to provide hot dogs and hamburgers, and you guys provide all the rest of the good things. And uh, it's going to be an awesome time. But but join us for that as we begin to change our hearts as we bring Christ into this community. Make that a commitment even today that we'll be here next, we'll be actually at Stanley Park next week for that. But if you're today, and, and maybe your first step today, this is what it needs to be. If you have not come to, to saving understanding and, and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm inviting you to take that step, not to a point of conversion, but of, to new life to find what Christy found and what I found and what, what so many others, for all summer long, you heard the testimonies, but you found a different kind of way of being, moving from death to life, from guilt to, to becoming a, a child in God's kingdom, a saint. That's what God is moving you to for purposeness and his power that he has, to having that relationship with him and, and, and being filled with his Holy Spirit. And all of those things may sound scary. It's like learning to walk if you were paralyzed. But let me once again offer on, on behalf of Christ the new life. And if you want to take that step, you'll be saved by God's grace simply through your faith, but he invites us to, to apply that faith in your belief, in your confession, your repentance, your baptism, your discipleship, all of those things. And if you need to take that first step today, I would love to help you to begin walking in this new way. So if you want to do this, what I'd like you to do is to let me know. Right? You can mark it on your card, which is fine, but I'd like you to come and talk with me or Pastor Jesse, or, or, but let us know so that we can help you begin walking in this new life in Christ. We could do it together. All right. Well, this ends our series on victory, but it does not end the victory, does it? 
The testimonies of transformation grow. And if you have a testimony you'd like to share, we would love to hear it. We also want to have the power of those testimonies be able to, as we are a transforming church, as we are being transformed. Uh, we're going to be moving from this. And next week, uh, as we start our Go series, following God, his, his commission, his command, as we begin to bring this victory into the community that God loves so very much. All right, so uh, I hope this is giving you an opportunity to make your commitments, right, on your connection card. It's one of those four or five things. If you have a prayer request, write it on there. We'll be praying for you this week. And then uh, in a moment, we're going to have our, our ushers, and, and they'll take uh, these baskets and drop those commitments in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts, right? Make that an expression of faith, a step of faith, saying yes to God and this new victory in life that he has for you. All right, let me pray for you as you do that. Heavenly Father, you're good, and that's what gives us uh, peace. If you were not benevolent, we would be terrified because you are so powerful and so wise, but it is your goodness, Lord, that gives us confidence in your love, that allows us to come to you even in a hopeless state. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that feels hopeless, so Father, that they would be encouraged to come to you, the God who can and does do great things, who works all things together for the good of those who love him, who love you according, or called according to your purpose. So Father God, I pray that you would endow us with a new kind of purpose, a new kind of joy, a new kind of hope. Father, we pray that you give us the ability to see this broken world with the same kind of heart that Christ does. Give us the capacity to be obedient and to be, to be fearless and, Father, to be able to go just like the four friends of the paralytic, to not give up and to bring you to this community as we bring this community to you. Father, take these commitments that we've made and draw our hearts closer to yours. And as we come nearer to you, God, we, we receive you as you come near to us. But we want to know you more. We want to bring you more glory. Take our tithes and our offerings and everything else that we bring today as, an, as a sign of our commitment to you and our love for you, that we just are, are filled with adoration for you, and we want to bring you glory. So that is what we pray in the beautiful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond to the word of the Lord on our connection songs, and then we'll sing a song in response to you. Ushers can come forward, and as they come forward, would you stand with us as we sing this last song together?
suffered as if he did All authority Every victory Is yours Savior Worthy of honor and glory Worthy of
shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You are dismissed.